This is The Ascending Life with Pastor Josh Blevins of Grace Calvary Chapel. The Church of Jesus Christ holds the most important responsibility in the world. It holds a responsibility that is a greater weight than any political institution, than any form of government, than any other form of authority. Because the Church of Jesus Christ is the one entity, the one living organism that is filled with the power of God to communicate the truth of God to a world that is in lies and darkness and death. Many of us can easily recognize the necessity of structure within any organization, be it public, government, or otherwise. Within each structure, specific roles and responsibilities are necessary for maintenance and growth, which leaves us asking the question, what is most important? As Pastor Josh will teach you in his message today, the responsibility of the church is hands down the most important. In his study, you'll learn how the gospel message fortifies and builds in an otherwise dark and dying world. Now. Here's Pastor Josh in the book of Acts chapter 2. As he begins his message, Vision Sunday. Well, I can't think of a better place to launch a vision for the future than to talk about what I like to call the ancient vision. The first vision that the church adopted at its, at its origination, at its genesis. We're going to launch out and talk about our future by looking at the book of Acts chapter two, verses 41 through 47. If you have your Bibles, please turn there together. Acts chapter two, verses 41 through 47. Peter had just preached the gospel. Holy Spirit had just been given. The story of the beginning of the church of Jesus Christ is not a story of the growth of a business or an organization run by professional CEOs, but rather that of a living organism that receives its life and vitality and its vision and direction from its head, who is Jesus Christ. And I believe that undoubtedly, and I say this without reservation, without doubt or without apology, that the church of Jesus Christ holds the most important responsibility in the world. It holds a responsibility that is a greater weight than any political institution, than any form of government, than any other form of authority. Because the church of Jesus Christ is the one entity, the one living organism that is filled with the power of God to communicate the truth of God to a world that is in lies and darkness and death, to bring the hope of life, forgiveness of sin, peace with God, and eternal life in heaven to people who are enemies of God because of the infection of sin. There is, by the way, a greater infection than COVID going on in this world, and it is called sin. It is far more deadly and far more consequential. And Jesus provides that hope of healing and of salvation, but he provides it through his church, his body. Paul was so bold as to say that the church of Jesus Christ is the household of God and the pillar and the ground of the truth. Consider that for a moment. Church is not a game we play. It's not an entertainment venue we visit. It's not part of our religious expression that we do once a week. No, the church is who we are. 
It is our identity as followers and disciples of Jesus who have a mission to bring his life and truth into the world. And that is who we are. And as it is with any living organism, the church can only be effective at fulfilling its God-given potential and calling when it is healthy and spiritually empowered, when its heartbeat is strong, its vision is clear, its spirit is vibrant, and when each member of that body operates according to its intended function with a clear mind and soundness of faith. When it comes to the subject of church growth, I, I get so weary these days. I learned as a pastor, don't ever type the words church growth into Google or a search engine because you get up, you, you, come, you get so discouraged all this wacky stuff, right? Double your church in five months, you know, it's like, it's like some sort of program. You pay into it and you can be attractional and you can get more, you know, and, and it's just weary. When, and it's even more frustrating because the Bible actually gives us Jesus's church growth formula, <laughs> It's a body, it grows, and it grows by way of us being connected to the head who is Christ. And the Bible says that as a church grows, not as an organization, not through human prowess or creative and, creative and talented leaders, not through professional strategies or entertainment-driven worship, no, the church grows in the same way that a body grows. In Ephesians 4, verses 15 and 16, Paul writes this, but speaking the truth in love that we may grow up in all things into him who is the head, Christ, from whom the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies, according to the effective working by which every part does its share, causes the growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. You see, the, the, the church doesn't grow from the top down. It grows from the inside out. It grows, Paul says, in four ways. When the truth is spoken when love is preeminent, when Christ is the head, and when everyone is playing their part. Hey, you put those four things together, and the church will grow. Will it grow out? Probably. Will it grow in? Certainly. Will it grow up? Most definitely. And that's what we want, a church that is growing in God's way. With four really core principles that we want to be built on as a church, Number one is simply this, and you could see this on our new website that we've launched, is that we, we want to be a church that is fully anchored in Jesus. Would anyone agree with me that Jesus is the way and the truth and the life, and there is no other name under heaven by which men must be saved? That is what we are about. We are a Jesus people, and not a cultural Jesus, not the social worker Jesus, not the community organizer Jesus, the Jesus who is the Son of God, God in human flesh come down to mend the brokenness between God and man, to make reconciliation for sin, and to give eternal life and to conquer death forever. That is the Jesus we follow, and that is the Jesus we, we want our church to be about. Amen? We are built, number two, on God's word. There are a lot of ways to approach preaching and teaching and instruction, and sadly, it seems to be the trend that talking about relevant issues or just mimicking and repeating the, the culture's view on things has become the norm in many churches. And can I be honest with you as a pastor? I understand the temptation that exists and the pressure that exists on pastors to merely conform. Preach, what, preach popular opinion, 
Just whatever the emails say, that's what you talk about. Preach things that people want to hear in a fairly non-offensive way. Just, just kind of whatever the culture says, whatever the news headlines are, just kind of, say, just kind of repeat those things and then add the word Jesus and love, and, and everything is going to be great. You guys, what we need is we need a source of truth that never changes. Social justice changes every day depending on the whims of the, the culture that we live in. Biblical justice never changes at all. Truth that is some, somewhat abstract or, or non-absolute is always wavering, but God's truth remains an anchor. And that is why, while we might not do it perfectly as no church does, something we were going to be founded on and committed to is the preaching and the teaching of God's word, the full counsel of God. And of course, then we want to be a church that is empowered by the Spirit for service. We all want to do our part, but we can't do it on our own strength. We need the Holy Spirit's power to be in us and upon us to not be spectators of church, but to be active participants in God's plans, each one of us. And then finally, and most importantly, as Paul said, we must be a church that is rooted in love. We want to be a pipeline of good works and gospel-centered provision and generosity to both the church within and the world without, because God's love should transform us to see and care for people the way God sees and cares for people. And so these things coming out of Ephesians 4, well, what does this have to do with Acts chapter 2? We're getting there. But thankfully, Scripture doesn't just give us a concept. It gives us an actual picture of a model of what it looks like in that New Testament church. This is not a trick question, but just give me an answer, yes or no. Was the first church perfect? No. You guys know, you guys know church too well, don't you? You know people too well to know that there is no perfect church. The old adage is absolutely true. If you go to a church and you find a perfect church, you better leave because you'll ruin it eventually. And it is true. It's true. It's amazing how fickle we all can be and how contaminated we all can be at times and how messy we all can be at times. It really reminds me of the guy who got stranded on, on that island by himself for years and years and years. Finally, when they showed up and they found him, they found him to rescue him. He had three huts there on the beach. And the, the rescuer said, I don't, what, why do you need three huts? It's only you. And he said, well, the first one's my house, and that's where I live. And the second one's my church. That's where I go to church. They said, okay, but what's the third one? He said, that's where I used to go to church, but I didn't like it. <laughs> Apparently, he offended himself out of church. I mean, that just happens. But here's the fact, the early church dealt with the same issues that we all deal with today. Carnality, divisions, false doctrine, pride, immaturity, and all the rest. But here's what we do see about the early church. We see in it a model of power. I could say that that first church was arguably the most effective and powerful to date. And we need to understand the keys of what made them that way. In Acts chapter 2, we have a glimpse into their story and the work that God did. And it comes in a progression of four things. We're going to look at these today and then talk a little bit about what's going on here at Grace. Number one, we're going to see that we need a strong foundation. Number two, we need to see that a strong foundation leads to a sacrificial generosity. Number three, that a sacrificial generosity will bring forth a solid reputation. And number four, a solid reputation will birth a salvation opportunity within the church and within the community. So let's look at these four things. Number one, jot it down. The book of Acts chapter two tells us that the early church had a strong foundation. The birth of the church begins 
when the disciples who are waiting for the promise of the Father in Jerusalem are baptized and filled with the promise of the Holy Spirit. The person, the third person of the triune God, the Holy Spirit, descends upon them with tongues of fire. And Peter, filled with the Spirit, boldly preaches the gospel, and 3,000 in that first time are saved. Talk about a logistical nightmare. Uh, 3,000 people from all around the world are in Jerusalem. They hear the gospel. They are transformed internally. They repent of their sins. They come to know Jesus, and no one wants to go anywhere. What do you do? With all those people. Well, you have church of 3,000 in one day. You have 12 leaders with three years of training who just got filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, granted, their, their training was under Jesus, so that's pretty good. And you have people from different cultures, from different mindsets, from a Jewish background. I mean, how do we get these people on track with Christ? Well, first, it started and I won't spend a lot of time here, with the Spirit of God. And I think this is important because no church can operate with eternal effectiveness without the empowerment and dependency on the Holy Spirit. A.W. Tozer put it, put it well. The Spirit of God, His presence, and His gifts are not simply desirable in our congregations. They are absolutely imperative. That's how we, how we grow well, the story goes, the Holy Spirit fills these first disciples on the day of Pentecost. The uh, day of Pentecost, that's not the name of a church movement, Pentecostal. It is representing the 50th day, the Feast of Weeks, the day where the Jews celebrated the giving of the law on Mount Sinai. And he fills the people with the Holy Spirit, 3,000 converts in one day. And here is how the apostles led that church into health. Acts chapter 2, verse 42 gives us four things that they did as their foundation. They continued, we're told, steadfastly. That means they were continually continuing, committed to. The apostles' doctrine, fellowship, the breaking of bread, and prayers. Those four things serve as a solid foundation for any church that wants to be fruitful and effective for the Lord. Let's briefly go through them. Number one, they were committed to sound teaching. That is the apostles' doctrine. Remember, the first church did not have a Bible, all right? It's not like the apostles got up and they're all gathered together there in Jerusalem and Peter gets up and says, please open your Bible to my book, chapter one. No, it didn't exist. What did they do? Well, first of all, the apostles, capital A apostles, were given unique authority by God to breathe out inspired words from God. That authority, I believe, does not exist anymore. It was sealed within those apostles that wrote that doctrine. It's, it, it, the Bible says that our faith is founded on the, on the foundation of the prophets and the apostles, this doctrine that came from the Holy Spirit. So they had the Old Testament, right? They had the prophets, the Psalms, the Torah, and that, so they taught that, and then they had the inspired meaning in the, from the New Covenant perspective. And the apostles would teach, this is what Jesus did, this is who Jesus was, this is what you should be as a Christian. That was the apostles' job. Today, we have a Bible, and you know what that Bible contains? The Old Testament-inspired scriptures, the accounts and the words and the teachings of Jesus and the Gospels, and the rest of the New Testament contains the apostles' doctrine. And so just as that early church said, we only want what is inspired by God, we only want the truth that comes from God, so a healthy church today must be committed to saying we only want what the Bible has to offer. 
And I'm, I'm, I'm saying this as an exhortation and as a warning. If you go to churches and something is kind of like, something sounds off when they talk about the Bible. Something like, you know, the Bible really is a collection of works that, that the Bible contains inspiration from God, but not, not necessarily that every word is inspired by God. You'll hear these slight differences. They try to manipulate the language. And we don't know if we can really trust the historicity of the Bible and the miracles of the Bible because, you know, it's just kind of a, a, a bunch of stories that God uses to sort of tell us special. You guys, it's all, it's all foundational work to try to get you to believe things that aren't biblical. Because if we can undermine the authority of Scripture and undermine the counsel of God's word, then pretty much you can be manipulated into believing anything that anyone who sounds good teaches you. And so, as a church, we must continue steadfastly in the teaching of the Scripture. And even when I find a temptation as a human being to preach the latest trends or fads or to copy the most popular YouTube pastoral sensation, that's kind of even scary that that's a real thing, Whenever I, am as, a, as a human, am tempted to move towards the latest trend, I remember Paul's words to Timothy. In 2 Timothy 4, verse 2, he said, Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Convince, rebuke, exhort with all longsuffering and with all teaching. Or like Paul said to the Ephesian elders as he departed from them, that I have not shunned to declare to you, he said, the whole counsel of God. And that whole counsel is found in the word because it takes a whole Bible to make a whole Christian to reach the whole world. That is something a pastor once taught me and it is absolutely true. And this is what I desire grace to be committed to and known for, that we are willing to bring a biblical worldview into every area of life. I'm gonna get in trouble. The the thing I don't wanna do is keep my garments and my shoes squeaky clean by saying things like, we just preach the gospel. We just stick to Jesus. And apparently, the gospel in Jesus has nothing to do with homosexuality, nothing to do with abortion, nothing to do with justice, nothing to do with inequality, nothing, you know, we just preach Jesus. What, does Jesus stop caring about that stuff now? You know what what that really comes from, church? It comes from especially in the younger generation, a desire to avoid conflict at any cost. One pastor I really respect, he put it like this, I think we have an 11th commandment that says, thou shalt be nice, at the expense of forgetting about all the other ones. We are called to be kind, to be compassionate, to be full of love and mercy and good fruits. We are not called to simply be nice at the expense of compromising the truth. And so we must stay committed to preaching God's word in context, in a verse-by-verse, chapter-by-chapter fashion, and then addressing issues that do come up, not from a cultural lens, but from a biblical lens. And starting of January of next year, I'm going to be encouraging a a church-wide one-year Bible reading plan that we will be on together so that we can all get in the habit day by day, morning to morning, being on the same page with each other, reading through the word of God an entire year and really getting the word of God into our hearts. Also, some different areas that we are going to be emphasizing and focusing on this coming year 
We are going to be reinvigorating our men's ministry at this church. I'm going to be giving direction to our men's ministry team to launch a new discipleship-based study where we will meet monthly and our older men will lead and teach our younger men how to be good husbands and fathers and leaders within their church and their community and their home. And we are going to focus really on getting the men of our church called out and up to be who God called them to be. We need men to rise up right now. We need men who are willing to lead fearlessly in the face of what we're facing today. Likewise, with our women's ministry, plans are being made, and my wife and Diane are, are, are discussing this upcoming retreat, as well as studies where discipleship and the, the cross-multi-generational uh, ministry will be able to take place, both for the deepening of biblical knowledge and, and understanding, as well as building those key relationships with each other. I've met with Dan, and we're, we're still prayerfully pursuing uh, God's perfect course for our youth ministry. You guys know it's essential to me, but I won't, I won't just get a youth pastor because I need a youth pastor. It's only God's guy. It's only God's person that's going to that's gonna come here. But something that's going to be very important for us from a philosophical standpoint is to, is to train our children with tools that will help them combat the things that they're going to hear in the world. This world I know people don't want to accept this, but you guys, it is the truth. The world under the control and sway of the enemy wants to indoctrinate your kids to a godless worldview. And it will stop at nothing. It will invade the local public schools. It will invade the entertainment. It, uh, it will invade every crack and crevice that, that's allowed in your child's life. And what we need not only is to be equipping our parents and our families to disciple their kids and to guard their hearts, but our church needs to be a place where kids are learning how to defend their worldview, how, how the Bible is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, memorizing it, putting it in their hearts, and saying, this is the way, walk in it. And we are gonna really hunker down on that. We are going to be committed to raising up arrows in a quiver that will be shot out of this place. Now, of course, every, we don't deny that every child, every youth, every teen has to make their own decision for Christ and they can receive the best instruction and best parenting in the world and still uh, decide to deny Christ. But we also wanna make sure that they didn't do it because the church was full of hypocrites, because there was no power, because there was no truth. We want to equip them as best we can. And we are working together to really put together some, some, I think, some great concepts and ideas to interweave into our philosophy of ministry with, with our kids and our youth. So that's the first thing. I only have 25 more. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Second thing here, they were committed to the apostles' doctrine. And then it says to fellowship. The word in the Greek, koinonia, it means to have all things in common. And here's the idea behind it. Despite the fact that we as individuals are all uniquely different, we all have different strengths and weaknesses and callings and purposes, all of our differences are subservient to the fact that we are all under Jesus Christ. He is the one that unites us. You see, fellowship is not just church potluck and having fun together. That's good. But fellowship is being together with the purpose to see Christ formed in each of us through iron sharpening iron. Thanks for joining us today here on The Ascending Life. 
Pastor Josh Blevins had a great message to share today, and we trust that what you've heard has been an encouragement to you. If what you heard today has left you with some questions, we'd like to ask you to reach out. You can get in touch with us by calling us at 816-279-2090. If you need to hear that number again, it's 816-279-2090. You can also email us at mail at graceontheweb.org. Some of what you heard might be completely new to you. If that's the case and you're still trying to figure out what you believe about Jesus, feel free to go to theascendinglife.com and click on the Know Jesus tab. There you'll be pointed in the right direction to understand more about who Jesus is and how much He loves you. Here at Grace Calvary, our mission is to awaken people to the love, truth, and power of God. Do you want to hear more messages from Pastor Josh? Head over to theascendinglife.com. You can also subscribe to our podcast too. Again, that's theascendinglife.com. We appreciate you listening to this edition of The Ascending Life as we strive to put Jesus first. That's all the time we have for today, but we can't wait to get back into another enlightening teaching from Pastor Josh. Will you make plans to join us again? We hope so. There's so much more to learn and appreciate about God, so be sure to tune in next time on The Ascending Life. Reaching up, we're pressing